make the most of your life. When you remove the blocks that are holding you back, you can bring inspiration, passion, and purpose to yourself and those around you. This is the Hoffman Connection with your hosts, Raz Ingrassi and Ed McLoon. Our hosts and their guests will give you the tools that you need to improve yourself by bringing you closer to what really matters. Now, here's your host. Hello, this is Raz Ingrassi of the Hoffman Institute. We're broadcasting from beautiful Northern California, and I'm a Hoffman Institute teacher and have been working with the Institute for well over 20 years. My guest host here is Ed McLoon, and he'll be on in just a moment. If you've never heard of Hoffman and the Hoffman Institute, we're celebrating 45 years uh, this year as a leading personal development company in the world. Uh, we have 16 sites in, in 11 different countries. We've helped some 85, 90,000 people. And um, we're, cel- as I said, celebrating 45 years. It was founded in the same year as the Summer of Love. So... Um, that's a little bit of a an endorsement for us, and uh, we have the Hoffman process is an amazing eight day retreat of personal development and discovery. So here's Ed McLoon. Thanks, Raz. It's always good to be with you. I'm really happy to be here with you and Kenny back from uh, OA Teaching the Process last week. Besides teaching the process, I'm a marriage and family therapist here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and our purpose here on the Hoffman Connection is to help you to connect with tools and people experience inspiration to help you connect to a life you love and certainly our guests this afternoon can convey a life that they love. Um, The Hoffman process is uh, put on about 30 times a year here in the United States, 24 at our site in St. Helena and six on the East Coast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Hoffman process, um, there's many ways to do it. Just going to our website, hoffmaninstitute.org, will open quite a few doors. And then every Tuesday afternoon at 5 o'clock, right after our show, if you're listening live, you can uh, attend a free confidential um, introductory call. And you'll learn more about that on our website. All right. Well, I'm going to hand it off to you, Raz, to introduce Kenny and Nina. Yeah, well, we're really excited to have Kenny Ozabel and Nina Simons here with us. They are the founders and co-CEOs of something called Bioneers. Now, if you've never heard of Bioneers, I want to urge you to go on the you know worldwide worldwide web and to www.bioneers.org, and you will learn all about them. But Bioneers was founded in 1990, and it's a hub of scientific and social innovators with practical and visionary solutions for the world's most pressing environmental and social challenges. Uh, Kenny is uh, an award-winning journalist, filmmaker, social entrepreneur, and uh, has worked in this field for many, many years. And Nina is also a social entrepreneur who translates her life experience into tools for serving the emerging leadership of other people, most especially women. They're both book authors. They have lots to share with us today. But I always think of them as people who are empowering social and environmental activism. And their Bioneer Conference, which, by the way, will be held this year in uh, San Rafael, October 19th to the 21st, has will attract over 3,000 people, have 140 speakers. And people will come from all over the world, really, and all, certainly all over the United States, because it's an opportunity to to learn more, to collaborate, and to re-energize themselves and the whole movement for environmental and social justice. So welcome, Kenny and Nina. 
Thank you, Raz. Great to be with you. Yeah, great to be with you. Thanks for having us. Tell us, please, what does the term binaries mean, and why did you create, of all the things you could do, of all the different kinds of activism uh, that there, that's available, why did you choose to create binaries, and what does it do? Sure. Um, well, the word itself is a word that I coined, um, and uh, it was sort of, in, at the time, what was in my mind was a, a melding of the idea of uh, biological pioneers. And, you know, the mm-hmm. Greek word bios means life. Uh-huh. Biology is really the study of life. And um, over the course of, um, well, I had a very severe uh, health event when I was about 19 or 20 that years later I just, that it was symptoms of a stroke and um, a hangover from hell that didn't go away. And years later I discovered that it had been from a toxic exposure, an environmental exposure. Wow. And um, it really knocked my life. You know, it's kind of like the lightning tree. If it doesn't kill you, you grow in another direction. And um, without going into that whole story, but I became acutely aware of environmental destruction, you know, by the late 60s, early 70s and got very involved with natural medicine, which is, of course, part of the environment in that regard. And over the course of the 70s and 80s, you know, anyone who was paying attention recognized that we were heading in some very bad directions in terms of the environment. And so what I wanted to know is, what can we do about it, you know? (laughs) And I just began to, you know, I'm a writer, and I'm just an interested citizen, and I just started to learn and read and talk to people. And one by one, I began to find these truly remarkable individuals who had come up with major systemic solutions to major environmental crises. And I began to see a pattern emerging, was that they had all looked to nature for instruction, basically. The, the, the disarmingly simple question, how would nature do it? How would nature create energy? How does nature create food? Uh, how does nature govern, you know, for that matter? Um, and so, I, you know, this just was sort of a hobby for quite a number of years or something that I just pursued, you know, as a personal interest. And then um, I went on to make a film about natural medicine and um, through that, it was about an herbal, uh, a very controversial herbal formula for cancer uh, that's quite effective, actually. And I got very deep into botanical medicine and through a daisy chain of connections, um, I ended up filming a very unusual garden at an Indian Pueblo outside Santa Fe where I was living, where I do live. And um, a fellow there had been gathering seeds, uh, threatened and endangered seeds and traditional and heirloom seeds from all over the world, but especially from Native Americans in the Americas. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I went on with him to found the company called Seeds of Change, the first um, national organic seed company. And it was really a backyard biodiversity company. And I'd hooked up with Nina around that time, and um, she joined in that work immediately. And um, so anyway, out of that, um, I started Seeds of Change in 1989, and a year later initiated the Bioneers Conference, because if you remember, 1988 um, was one of the hottest years the country's ever had. Uh, Dr. James Hansen, the NASA climatologist, testified before Congress as kind of the Paul Revere of, of climate change and global warming, and told us we had the decade of the 90s to dodge the bullet, you know, to actually prevent this from happening. And so I decided, you know, hey, why don't we start gathering the wisest and, you know, uh, most insightful people among us who are focused on solutions, bring them all together and see what happens, you know. And that was really the origin of the conference in 1990. And, um, Nino, 
how do you come at it? I mean, you you have, obviously have an interest in, in in women's leadership issues, but it ties right in with uh, with this. And is there anything you'd like to add to what Kenny has said? Well, sure, Raz. I mean, my experience was was quite different in that um, I uh, my first love was the arts, and I really thought that um, the arts and culture were the way to change the world. And I knew even back then that. The world needed changing because I could see how unhappy most people were, and I could see how much of our mainstream culture seemed to perpetuate that um, that disease and unhappiness. Um, so I came into it really through a window around culture, but I also, I, I had, though I had never considered myself an environmentalist, I was somebody who just loved nature. You know, I learned very early on in my life that nature was a source of healing and renewal and solace to me. And so when Kenny first came to me with this idea of having a conference, I was a little skeptical, but I could, I could feel that it was important. And I remember, and I agreed to help him, and I remember sitting there literally with my jaw hanging open, listening to people at that very first conference, and just being so inspired and so blown away by their passion and their creativity and their effectiveness, and thinking, well, this is the community of leaders that I want to serve with my communication skills. Um, and what was interesting, Raz, too, was that when we first started Bioneers, we thought, well, not enough people know about the existence of these amazing solutions. And if more people knew, it would get people excited and engaged and leverage the pressure for change. And what we didn't realize we sort of thought that when we brought these people together, they would all know each other. And so we were startled to discover that the folks working on rivers and the folks working on oceans weren't talking to each other and were completely operating in silos or pigeonholes. And so what we discovered very quickly was that there was tremendous power in bringing people together who all cared about transforming how we live on Earth for the better and right. having them be able to connect and cross-pollinate solutions and strategies and get to know each other so that they could collaborate going forward. So that was a big piece of it for me. And the other thing that I would add is that I've always been really moved by the human element of this. I remember very vividly in 92, there was a panel that we had to talk about, to commemorate in a sort of sardonic way, um, the 500-year anniversary of Columbus, quote, discovering this land. And there was a native elder from the Taos Pueblo, a very wise man named Richard Deertrack. And he um, opened his remarks by saying, 500 years ago you came and we welcomed you with open arms. If you came again today, we would do the same. And I wow. remember, yeah, that was my reaction. I kind of went, <laughs> wow, there's a lot for me to learn here. And what a powerful, wise, beautiful thing to say. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Ed, uh, I think We're, we need to go to break, don't we? Absolutely right. Um, and we'd love for any listeners who want to participate in our show to please give us a call and jump right in with Kenny Ozabel and Nina Simons. Our phone number here to participate in the show today is 866-472-5788, 866-472-5788. And we'll be right back with more on the Hoffman Connection. 
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And with Raz and Grossi, I'm Ed McClune with our guests, Kenny Ozabel and Nina Simons of uh, the Bioneers Conference. And Kenny, Nina, we were just talking offline, and Nina, you brought up about, you know, what, what does activism mean these days? And I think that's a great start into this, this part of our show. You want to say more about that? Well, sure, Ed. Um, you know, what I realized early on with Bioneers was that I considered many of the people I was shining light on to be activists, but I didn't consider myself an activist. And when I unpacked that a little bit, I realized that I had this definition in my head of activism, which um, described someone as an activist if they were um, doing direct action or demonstrating or, you know, in some way sort of challenging the status quo in a very public and um, forthright way. And over time, I have come to feel that an activism is a much broader, an activist actually encompasses a much broader spectrum of human activity. And that I do consider my work activism now because it's focused on um, supporting positive change in the world. And to me, there's a, a, just a much wider definition that's available that I consider to be almost any kind of engaged action. And I'm still not a person, you know, who gets arrested and does direct action. But um, I think engaged action is actually a, a friendlier term for how many of us think about what an activist is. That might wonderful. be more inviting to more folks. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. And um, I'd like to ask you, too, then, 
how has your thinking evolved over the years? I mean, what is what are some of the underlying principles of of Bioneers? What is the uh, and how how has it changed and evolved for you, for both of you? Yeah, well, yeah. You know, in 1990, um, there were definitely there was some real thinking behind this and or some insight. And one of the things you know um, is that everything is connected. I mean, John Muir made a beautiful statement that in nature everything is hitched to everything else, and the web of life is a web of interdependence. And interdependence is really one of the fundamental principles behind bioneers and behind how the world works. And so once you realize that, you can't be talking about having all these different categories as though they're separate, because it is all connected. You can't, for example, solve the environmental crisis without addressing justice. You know, um, it's easy to understand that what we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. But in fact, what we do to each other, we do to the earth you know, and exploitation and war and all the horrors of those kinds of things. So it's a very, you know, it's one system. And that, that's another core principle is systems thinking, that you have to look at these things systemically. You can't solve a problem over here. And, you know, we have so many, quote, solutions that have just spawned a host of new problems because they were not systemic. Um, the other thing, and this was what was most revelatory for me over the couple decades preceding the founding of the conference, was nature-inspired solutions. And um, at the time, we were calling it biomorphic or biomimetic, and then seven or eight years later, um, a very brilliant woman named Janine Benius released a book called Biomimicry, Innovation Inspired by Nature, that really put this whole field on the map. It's an emerging science um, that is now really gaining a lot of traction many years later. But um, nature has done everything we want to do without mining the past or mortgaging the future basically. And so there's a lot that relates to technology, um, and there's some extraordinary stories of, you know, what's actually possible. Um, one of our earliest favorites in this area is a guy named Paul Stamets, who's a mycologist who studies mushrooms. And without going into the whole long story, we all know that, that mushrooms can be very, very powerful medicines. In fact, Paul has a patent now on a, on a um, cancer treatment, you know, from, from mushrooms that's proving to be effective. He actually cured his own mother with it, who had stage four breast cancer. But so he wondered, well, if these things are medicines for our bodies, we, our bodies are of the earth. What are they doing in the environment, in the ecology? And long story short, there was a big diesel fuel spill near his little farm in Washington state. And he was given the opportunity to take a, a large patch of this contaminated, diesel contaminated, you know, dirt and to try to remediate it, to detoxify it um, with his mushrooms. So he planted the spores of, uh, inoculated the spores of oyster mushrooms into this very, very contaminated soil, put a tarp over it, came back six weeks later, and this is all scientifically documented, and they ripped the tarp off, and this formerly dead dirt was literally covered with oyster mushrooms, some a foot in diameter. They tested the, the soil, and then they tested the flesh of the mushrooms, and found essentially no trace of diesel. And this is another bioneer principle. In nature, there is no waste. Waste equals food. Everything is recycled, right? And so, again, long story short, he then went on. And by the way, um, you know, pesticides, everything that we do is drawn from oil in terms of our industry and agriculture and so forth. So the implications of this, of being able to digest oil, are you know, almost inconceivable in terms of what could be done, including remediating poisoned farmlands. He was ultimately contacted by the Pentagon, by the Department of Defense. 
they gave him, they got some of his, two of his mushrooms and were able to transform sarin nerve gas, which is kind of right up there with plutonium. And again, it metabolized it. It transformed it. It didn't just change it or diminish it. It actually digested and transformed it. And that's just one of now many examples of what biomimetic technologies could do. Um, and, you know, the nature has done everything we want to do, and it's done it so much better. So that was very much the inspiration. And the other corollary, just very briefly, was we live in New Mexico, and, you know, there's a very vibrant and long-lasting native culture here, indigenous culture. And, you know, Indians are the ones, in a sense, who invented biomimicry. They didn't have the high tech. But they really, you know, generation upon generation of close observation of how nature does it. And so there's a very strong correlation between traditional empirical indigenous science and the emerging, you know, technological and Western science of biomimicry. Well, that's incredible. You know, I think it's, it just speaks to the highest hopes all of us have that, that there are solutions and, and, and bring it back to the earth and back to uh, living on earth in ways that honor the web of life and that honor each other and social justice and, and are passing on the best to the future generations. You just gave us a very inspiring story, and I was wondering, Nina or, or Kenny, do you have – I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Obviously, uh, a lot of the, many of the worst things that were predicted 25, 35 years ago are coming to pass. Uh, the, this science that's been predicting changes on Earth is, is pretty good stuff. But what are, some, um, what are some of the biggest challenges? What are some of the biggest – uh, hopes that you have for us as human beings on Earth succeeding? Let me just briefly respond, and then I'd love to hear what Nina has to say as well. But, um, you know, when we started this in 1990, you could litter and programming a conference, right? Um, you're looking for speakers. It's a kind of star search that we do. And you could easily know the handful of people in any given field. I mean, you know, it was a very small universe at that time. 23 years later, I mean, I can't keep up with one area. It's just an avalanche of people doing really stunningly brilliant work. Um, Janine Benyus, whom I mentioned, who's become the really sort of the godmother of biomimicry, is um, she was supposed to speak at our conference this October again, and we got a cancellation because she won a big design prize and is going to be having lunch at the White House that day. I mean, so that's 23 years later. This stuff is really starting to get traction and you know, we titled the conference from breakdown to breakthrough reimagining civilization in the age of nature and there are many 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 examples like this i think that we need to keep the longer perspective um, one thing that i would say in that regard is you know it was on climate deniers there are no climate deniers in china or in europe or in most of the rest of the world it's an absurdity it was a matter of time before physical reality would override belief systems delusion and propaganda it happened this year, 2012. The most recent polls show that 70% of the American public now associates climate change with all the extreme weather. That is a turning point. The Pentagon is all over this. They're reframing national security as internal environmental resilience. So these are huge shifts. And you, if you look at where we've come in the past 23 years and realize that things are going to ramp up and accelerate radically now in the next five, six, seven years, you know, a lot of the things that look smaller uh, are going to get much, much bigger very quickly. And that's a lot of what our job has been, to be kind of the pilot fish, identifying this stuff, building connections, and promoting and, you know, communicating this through the media. All, all, everything you're saying, Kenny, is, um, I'm finding, for a lot of different reasons, inspiring. 
um, the, the you know the the link to humans as nature for one thing, and and that the solution is is you know all around us as part of our connection to nature, and then all this information. I mean, the Pentagon getting on board to to global warming, etc. Are there are there resources that our listeners can find? Um, this kind of information? I mean, it's all new to me, what you're saying, and obviously you are saying that at this point in time it's hard for you to keep your fingers on any one topic, let alone the whole diversity of the topic. How, how do we stay informed? Well, there are lots of ways, Ed. Um, we have a website that's bioneers.org, and um, if you go onto that website, you would see that we have a radio series that's on over 400 stations in the U.S. and around the world. Um, we have a book series, and uh, as well as there are videos that are posted on Vimeo. There's a Facebook page. There are all kinds of resources there. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think um, we have a lot of our own stuff, and we're actually in a process now of redoing our website, which is extremely dated right now. We'll be doing that over the next few months. But we're also in... Um, it's, we have a whole anthology book series of the, the kind of the greatest hits from the conference, really good stuff, and a lot of plenaries. And the radio series you can download for free. It wins a lot of awards every year. It's a really wonderful 13-part um, series of half-hour shows, and you can download it or stream it for free. Very, very educational and inspiring. Um, I, I have a new book that will be out um, in August, actually, called Dreaming the Future, Reimagining Civilization in the Age of Nature from Chelsea Green. And um, it really kind of captures a lot of what's been going on with Bioneers for about the past decade or so. Nina has a wonderful book called Moonrise, um, uh, the, which she can certainly tell you what that's about. <laughs> we should definitely talk about women's leadership because that's one of the other game changers. But um, we're going to be um, offering by September themed media collections of a lot of the greatest hits from Bioneers so that if you're interested in justice or in ecological design or in food and farming, you know, those kinds of um, tracks, you'll be able to get access to all of that. Now, tell us just a little bit. We know that about 3,000 people are going to attend the conference here in San Rafael at the convention center, uh, the Civic Center, I should say, October 19th to the 21st. That's open to the public, is it not? I mean, you just go on your website and you find, it, you find your way to it? Yep. Well, we, we do have a political litmus test, you know, but other than that... Just kidding. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, but what about, there's something else called Beaming Bioneers. What's that? Well, Beaming Bioneers is something we started about 10 years ago, Ed, because we had folks come to us and say, we would like to convene people, bring them together in our home community. The first person who said that was from Toronto, Canada. And so we decided to start an experiment back then. And so we actually web stream the plenaries from our conference to communities that are all over the country. And really, it enables people to, if you go into our website, you can see what are the communities that are signed up and what their dates are. And it's a way to get together with people. You know, oftentimes, local communities will have a sustainability conference or they'll have a conference about personal growth or about social justice. But it's rare to be able to get together with folks who are interested in all these fields and food and farming and, you know, renewables and how we transition and to get together with people across all those different issue areas and feel the kind of unity and power that exists in that is tremendous. And that's, that's what a Beaming Bioneers conference is. Well, there's also a bigger context for that. 
which is, you know, we're all standing here witnessing the collapse of these two big not-to-fail systems. That's what the military is especially concerned about. You know, one hacker today can take down the entire electrical grid if it isn't just its decrepit infrastructure that takes it down first, you know. Four bridges go out on the Mississippi, and New York City is hungry 48 hours later. So what we're going to see now is a move towards much greater decentralization, towards um, regions and places, communities, cities, states, you know, and, and, and multi-state, you know, regions. So we feel, you know, the Beaming Bioneers program was our first sort of foray into this relocalization and scaling down our systems, making them closer to home. That includes the financial system. I don't know if you've seen the latest uh, statistics, but the top 400 people have more wealth than the bottom, so-called bottom 80, 185 million Americans. I mean, you want to talk about a little too centralized of a system and the democratization of wealth. So, so really, and then one of the things that we're very excited about at the conference this year um, in October is we're doing a call to action to form a national resilient communities network because all over the country, um, different places are figuring out major innovations that really work of how to go local and how to build resilient, durable systems and a green economy, which is central, yet these things are not migrating or not being transferred. So we're going to try to you know, catalyze a network so that all this knowledge and wisdom can start to move around and in a kind of a transaction, actually, so people can start to you know take things that are working elsewhere and adapt them. That's great. I mean, it's it's a you know that's the wonderful uh, asset that we all have in terms of the internet and, and the capacity to link ideas and link processes and experiments and everything else. Kenny Asabel. Nina Simons are our guests here on the Hoffman Connection. If you'd like to participate in the show, that would be encouraged. You can reach Kenny, Raz, myself, and Nina at 866-472-5788. 866-472-5788. We'll be right back with more on the Hoffman Connection. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. Hello, this is Raz and Grossi with Ed McClune, and we're speaking with Kenny Osbell and Nina Simons, who are co-founders, co-CEOs of Bioneers, one of the most important um, initiatives going on in the world today. We want to urge everyone to access their website, Bioneers.org, and learn about their upcoming conference, their books, and all kinds of other resources for becoming active in your own life and becoming active in the, in the life that uh, is the future for our planet. Kenny just spoke about challenges that we face and promising trends, and I'd like to ask Nina to respond to that same issue. What, Nina, what are you? What are what are the big challenges, and what are the promising trends that you see? Well, um, let's see. I I think you know the challenges that I find most acute and and most prevalent are um, the the really. Uh, the depth of corruption that we can see in almost every social system we're encountering right now, um, you know, the, the uh, crazy emphasis on violence and, you know, and, and sensationalism in the media and the lack mm-hmm. of coverage of good news and of what's really the world that's being born and um, the out-of-control power of corporations, you know. But I think more than any of those things, I think one of the challenges we face as human beings is the invisibility of our culture. And um, there's, a, there's a joke I heard recently that I love where um, three fish are passing each other in the ocean, and there's a very big older fish, and he's passing two small fish going the opposite direction. And the elder fish turns to the smaller fish and says, Hey, guys, how's the water? And they don't answer, and they swim on by. And a minute later... One little fish turns to the other little fish and says, what's water? (laughs) So for me, you know, there are biases that are embedded in our culture that are getting in our way. And it's one of the things that I actually really um, got from my Hoffman experience was recognizing that if we turn a lens inwardly and really um, amplify our own awareness of our inner landscape, we can notice the places where our inner guidance is out of alignment with what the culture is telling us. And we can start to see and make visible those elements of our culture that actually have to be changed in order for the world to become a healthier, wholer place. So, you know, for me, that's part of the challenge. And, and similarly, I think part of what's most promising is that people are really waking up. And they're waking up to the incredible joy and fulfillment and meaning of connecting what they most love and care most deeply about with their actions in the world. And for me, that's just really essential. And it's, it's kind of the broadest definition of activism that I can, I can wrap my arms around is standing on behalf of what we love and what we really care about. And so many people are, are doing that, are waking up and recognizing the value of uh, connecting across generations, connecting across differences, and really getting out there and being willing to take a stand because it's going to take a lot of us to shift um, what is so deeply entrenched and embedded for us all. 
and has such a tendency to be invisible. <laughs> now, I just take note of that. I think you know, defining activism as standing on what we care about and what we love is inspirational, just in whatever that is, two sentences. And, you know, I, I'm always interested in creating a movement. You know, the, and the two of you have had the courage or inspiration or depending on how humble you're going to be this afternoon, you know, just the luck to be at the forefront of, of a movement, you know, that you two are putting your lives on the line, not in, you know, battle so much, but in gathering people together to make change about what you care about. And I think um, to me, that's interesting, the, the inspiration that it takes. I mean, all of us, many of us know what's going on in the world and the challenges and et cetera. And then there are people like you, not only, you know, starting your own recycling program in the neighborhood, but actually gathering world leaders together. And I, I think that's so notable. Is there anything you guys can say about how this whole movement, I know you've already spoken about it, but just the, 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 the personal idea of actually taking leadership to reach out into the world to, to make change and create community around it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of <clears throat> different ideas about what leadership is. For me, it's the readiness to take responsibility to act on behalf of the common good. And there are a lot of negative models of leadership that we see all around us all the time, and that's changing very greatly now. And I think, honestly, in this time, we're all called upon to be leaders in our own lives in that way. And um, so, you know, I think that that's something that is, is what Nina's really talking about here. And um, also, I would just say that at this time, I think that there's a, this has been Nina's work for a long time, but the leadership of women is acutely uh, important right now and is also really rising up. Nina, I don't know if you want to say something about that. Well, I'm happy to. And, and in a way, it also relates to my experience with Hoffman, which was that what I, one of the things I really loved about Hoffman was that we're all products of a culture that has tended to emphasize our intellects and de-emphasize the value of our physical bodies, the wisdom that resides there, our emotional selves, and our spiritual selves. And so for me, um, you know, the greatest opportunity and the greatest hope is how we bring ourselves forward as whole human beings, male and female, in the interest of reinventing how we live on Earth and with each other. Um, and, and, of course, Hoffman, for me, was all about reclaiming a right relationship to myself. Um, and that was so powerful because I do believe that all of, our relations, whether we're relating to ourselves, each other, or the earth, are all different octaves of the same relational um, inheritance. You know, it's both personal and planetary healing because the wounds that we're inflicting on the earth are, are our own wounds, you know, and it, it, that's really kind of what it comes down to in the end. I mean, for me, the Hoffman process was profound, really, truly life-changing, and um, I, you know, as Nina's indicating too, I mean, one of the most powerful things for me was actually the kinesthetic work. And I found stuff in my body that I had no idea about. I worked with Ed, in fact, who knows it all too well. Um, and it was a too, truly transformational experience for me. And I could actually feel things lift and go away in the moment and then continue to do that and improve over time. And it was a bizarre thing for me because my life was fine, and, you know, at least from the outside. I have work that I love, that I, I created myself, and, you know, I'm unemployable, so, I mean, it's a blessing for me to get to do my own thing. I have this incredible wife who loves me. 
beautiful daughter. I mean, you go down the list, and I was miserable. And I came out of that really changed, you know. And I'm so proud of you all and happy that Hoffman is now used in leadership at the Kennedy School of Government. I mean, as I, after I did Hoffman, that's the first lens I look at. How can you be a leader if you haven't done that internal work? You know, you're just replicating these wounds, transmitting them generationally, as you all know so, so well. So, um, so there is this inner outer thing, and we have a remarkable panel at the conference this year about inner resilience with Gabor Mate, the brilliant Canadian physician who works with trauma and addiction. And we're all, we all have PTSD, is the truth. You know, right. we're the walking wounded. And then Dr. Jim Gordon from the Center for Mind-Body Medicine in, California, in uh, D.C., who is using, bringing mindfulness practices to the Middle East and to Haiti and creating genuine transformation. And that's transformation from the inside out. Right, that's well, one, one of the, the privilege of doing the work that we do. Um, go ahead, Raz. I was just going to say virtually the same thing, that you know, nothing gives us greater uh, excitement and joy than as Hoffman teachers and people running the Hoffman Institute than when we are able to bring healing and empowerment to the people who have somehow taken, a, taken on that task in the greater uh, culture, uh, whether it's you know, changing the environment or serving children in our communities or older people. Somehow... Inspiring people who are serving others is and serving life is uh, one of the greatest privileges that I think we as Hoffman people have the uh, have the opportunity to to deliver on. So Thank I'm uh, happy to hear it. We're just about to go to break and and uh, finish off with our last segment with Nina and Kenny. Um, before we do, as long as we're talking small community events, <clears throat> excuse me, we wanted to promote that we've got our own Hoffman. Summer picnic coming up at our the um, site that we use in, the, in St. Helena on August 18th. Whether you've uh, been part of the Hoffman process or just interested, it's a, a wonderful event all day long. And part of our fundraising for our nonprofit is a raffle of this year of Volkswagen Beetle, amongst other things. And you can find out more about that, again, at our website, hoffmaninstitute.org, as well as the free confidential introductory call that takes place every Tuesday afternoon at 5 o'clock Pacific time. That on the website, hoffmaninstitute.org. We'll be back with more on the Hoffman Connection right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. 
Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. Nina. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to ask you to speak a little bit about your work with women and what does that mean and and, and why is that you know how does that light up your life and how how are you changing the world through the women's leadership issues? Okay, well thanks Ed. Um, you know I think like many women perhaps I graduate I came out of college really believing that the first wave of the feminist movement had had succeeded and that I was stepping onto a level playing field. And it took me some time to realize that that wasn't really the case. And to have experiences where I would sit in a board meeting and say something that seemed to fall on deaf ears, but when the guy next to me said it, suddenly everybody recognized it. And, um, and so I began my own inquiry about my own identity as a woman and trying to understand both for myself personally and for the larger culture systemically what this imbalance between the masculine and the feminine was all about. And, you know, I see it as um, something that occurs both in terms of justice and the fact that women are still earning 77 cents on the dollar, and the number of women in the House and Senate has not increased in 30 years, and uh, which is still 17%, you know, and there's been lots of conjecture that if there were more women in leadership on Wall Street, then perhaps this economic recession could have been avoided. So, you know, I began my own inquiry about that, and I've been lucky enough to have Bioneers as my amazing graduate school for 23 years. And so I started studying all the leaders that I had been learning from, both men and women. And what I saw was that there were some common threads to those that I most admired and really aspired to be like. And a lot of what... Um, delineated them was a quality of self-knowledge and inner awareness that they translated into their work in the world. And they all do it in different ways. Um, But as I studied all these amazing stories and extraordinary examples of leadership, um, and with Kenny's suggestion, I decided to do a book called Moonrise, The Power of Women Leading from the Heart. And part of my great pride is that there are men in this book as well. So it's really not only about women. It's about reinventing leadership and about reading incredibly inspiring stories that shift how we see ourselves and each other and really open up new possibilities for how we can behave differently in the world 
Um, one of the aspects of the conference this year that I'm really excited about is a day-long intensive that we're calling Feminomics. That's really an overview to look at how women's leadership and a gender lens and a whole systems approach are transforming our whole economic and financial system into something that can work for everyone. And that's just really an exciting inquiry to me and something that across the system hasn't really been looked at in quite that way. So for me, you know, women are leading a reinvention of leadership and men are too. And for me, I have to say there is a tie-in in my own experience with Hoffman in that that whole person leadership that really integrates the wisdom of our hearts and spirits is a lot of what we're all co-creating and midwifing into this new era that we're, that we're growing towards. It seems that the whole concept of balance really came into the, the culture pri- predominantly through um, ecological education, through environmentalism, and has, and has spread you know, to all fields, including what you're, you're talking about now, just gender balance in leadership and the, and the learning that comes from that, the healing that comes from that, the necessity for it. It's, I can't wait to, to look into your book, Nina. <laughs> it's a wonderful book. The other thing that I would say here that was from a more personal point of view was that the other thing that I really, a lot of things happened for me doing the Hoffman process, but one of my realizations was also that you know, um, a lot of these issues about gender trace back to our parents. And until you get at that stuff, you're not going to actually achieve the kind of balance that we're talking about here. And that I, I had done Hoffman first, and then I encouraged Nina in part because of her work with women's leadership, because I thought it would be really invaluable for her to have this other perspective, you know, that goes back to our parents, as we well know. Well, and as you're saying, Ed, it does come back to nature, but it also comes back to traditional wisdom cultures. I mean, if you think about the Tao and the yin and the yang, we have a lot of ancient examples of gender balance that we just haven't been manifesting for the last couple thousand years. Right, and taking it from political sloganism or you know, that we can all buy into to an actual practice, lifestyle, belief, and faith is a whole nother step. And that's one of the reasons I'm really even more after our conversation this afternoon appreciating the work that the two of you are doing and how you're putting your life on the line for it. That's amazing. One of the things that I I, I just love hearing the the, uh, full-hearted inspiration with which both of you speak because so many people out there today feel powerless in the face of these huge, you know, corporations and government and media companies and all this sort of thing. And it feels so much like there's nothing I can do. And yet what I've learned from listening to you this afternoon is that uh, we can be most powerful when we're acting on behalf of what we love and what we care about. And when a person makes that shift, not to trying to do what the world necessarily needs, but finding what you need in your own heart and living from that, uh, your power seems to be magnified, you know, many times over. And it seems to be that, um, you know, uh, it becomes an idea whose time has come. That's just the feeling I have listening to you, and I'm really inspired. You know, I think that that's really true. And um, one of the things that's come, especially through women leaders over the last couple decades, is changing the concept of power from power over to power to, power to do something. And that's a really huge shift. And a shaman years ago said to me, no one can take your power away from you. Only you can give it away. 
And, you know, when we look at the corporate system, and all, which is, in my mind, the rhinoceros in the room here in terms of, you know, the concentration of wealth and power, um, there's almost a level of the Stockholm Syndrome. I mean, why would anybody put up with this? This is outrageous, you know? So I think that as people, you know, gain and really uh, step into their own power, these systems lose power quite directly. It's not to say there won't be confrontation and struggle and all the rest of it, but, you know, the, the struggle is less internal than external at that point. And one of the really important things, too, is that all of these um, systems that we don't necessarily like or, or give us difficulty, um, you know, they're all being run by people who are parents and have children, and they want it to turn out, too. And they're, they're, they don't know how to make it happen. So uh, every, from one point of view, everyone's on our side. And, um, you know, once you know that, I think you get a different, you know, everyone needs to be saved. No one's going to be left out. And... Uh, even the even the richest 400 families, uh, you know, it's like uh, I once heard the Buddhists reported to have said that compassion is like the rain, it, or suffering is like the rain. It falls equally on everyone, and um, we're all suffering. We're all in this together, and we can extend our compassion to everyone. Well, that's so true, Ed. And you know, for me, it's actually kind of an equation that's like combining serving what we most love, which is the power of our hearts, with a real uh, exercise of rigor in being congruent between our spiritual knowing, our intellectual knowing, our emotional knowing, and our physical knowing, and then connecting that to a need in the world. Once we do that, I think we become unstoppable. And I also think that what is largely underspoken is how much joy and meaning comes out of that kind of a life because for me it's um it's quite ecstatic and and so you know i'm interested in encouraging more and more people to play like this because the world needs us it's really urgent and it's more joyful and more meaningful beautiful how are we doing on time here ed Getting close to the edge. Um, I'm going to speak about, for just a moment, uh, first off, I just want to thank Nina Simons and Kenny Osabel for being with us. This has been a really enlightening and inspiring time we've had together. Please join us next week. Our guest is Stephen Josephs. He's a Tai Chi master. He's a business consultant. He's an executive coach. His new book is called Dragons at Work, and he can talk about the impact of Eastern philosophical traditions on traditional business here in America. And to find out more week. of what we're up to, please um, visit our website, hoffmaninstitute.org. Kenny, Nina, thanks so much. Really inspiring. We're honored, and we love you and Hoffman. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you both, and thanks all for listening. Okay. Thank you again for being a part of the Hoffman Connection. Please join your hosts, Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon, again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, make it an outstanding week.